In this episode, I interview Dr. Jake Altman. Jake practices in both Long Island and New York City. And Jake and I have a special relationship. We were roommates in chiropractic school. We were, you know, in each other's weddings. I watched his kids grow up and, you know, know his wife very well. You know, we've spent a lot of trials and tribulations together over the last, you know, more than a decade now. And and I, and I mentioned that because I think it takes, uh, you know, great, you know, self-awareness and also humble person to be able to, you know, hire me essentially, right? It's, we have a different relationship, but I think Jake saw hopefully that I was able to help him and that be a guiding resource in his practice. And again, he was one of our first clients here in the program in Cairo Business 101 and then in our mastermind program. And in the in the nine months or so that we've been working together, his practice has grown tremendously. He's come out of 2021, um, you know, COVID in with you know, with an in great in great spirits, the business is growing. And, you know, he was practicing in New York City and essentially was shut down for most of the year. And so he's back on track. And in this episode, we talk about how creating the discipline and not just the discipline to show up, the discipline actually to sometimes not show up. And what I I mean by that is it's always easy to just see the next patient, see the next patient, see the next patient. And we're at a point in, in Jake's practice where he has almost a full schedule. The problem is he's working 100% in the business. And so the discipline now is about the planning and being able to block yourself out to spend the appropriate time to work on the business, to help the business grow forward. Um, I think the line I use in the podcast or that he and I talk about is getting him to a point where he's able to offload some of those lower level tasks. You know, when we started with Jake, he was doing some insurance, you know, out of network billing, and there was just a lot of money that he had to go and collect. And, and again, we think about it. If you guys are in school out there, oh yeah, billing and all this type of stuff, it just has to happen. But when you get in practice and you have a family and you know you get stressed, some things go by the wayside. And so we just had to sit down and say, hey, let's we got to create some time in this because you've got to go and collect some money. You've got to go create some systems. We've got to learn how to sell. We've got to learn how to put package pricing together. And we've been able to do all of that in a, in a pretty short period of time. You know, the, the thing about being in business um, for some of you newer grads out there, and that's why I sort of encourage people to to get going with this stuff early, is because like Jake will, will speak to it more than anyone. Once you sort of create habits, good or bad, they're hard to break. And so, because he's been doing it for a while, the practice, you know, he has he does a great clinical service and creates a great product. But being able to sort of revamp a lot of the systems and processes that he's used in the past to make them more appropriate for scalability, that's a challenge. It's a challenge once you've known how to do one thing for so long. So for you guys out there, and I know Jake would agree with me on this, if you're just getting started or haven't started yet, the best time to learn this stuff is now. This is the equivalent for you guys out there is like a patient that waits until their back is really bad to get help. If you own a practice before it gets that bad, reach out for help. Think about the time you'll save. Think about the pain you won't have to go through if you figure this out before it gets painful. Now, as you'll hear, Jake is a highly intelligent person, probably, and this is not a hyperbole, the smartest person that I graduated with. I mean, highly intelligent. So he has the ability to change very, very quickly. Not everyone does, but if you're out there and and need some more help, shoot me an email, coaching at strive to move.com. We're accepting applications into our Cairo business 101 program. If you want to go on that same journey that Jake has, please just reach out to me. Happy to chat about anything that you need um, and enjoy the episode. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Business School for the Rehab Chiropractor. Class is officially in session. My name is Justin Rabinowitz, and I am a rehab chiropractor on a mission to teach you, a fellow rehab chiropractor, the exact tools and systems I've used to build my own successful rehab chiropractic practice so you can do the same. I hope you enjoy, and please subscribe. Dr. Jake Altman, how are we today? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm wonderful. I can't wait for your verbiage and word use that you're going to utilize over this next hour. It's going to be spectacular. I don't know. You already laid the gauntlet down with verbiage. Yes. So, 
as you, as the audience will recognize, uh, Jake and I go way back. We met in 2009. We graduated together in chiropractic school. We were roommates. Uh, I've seen weddings and children's birth and birthday parties and all of that. Now, the point that I actually want to make here is, um, you know, obviously you and I have talked and we're friends and we share business advice, the hot, the positives and the negatives. But, you know, when I started doing the coaching, we, we formalized it in that, like, you are a paying client and I am your, you know, I am helping you grow your business. And I think it's actually an important thing because I've always talked about in, in clinical practice, how the people that get the worst care are typically our family and friends, the ones that don't pay because they're not on a plan. They don't have a system. They don't have a process. And it's kind of, uh, becomes one of those things where if you're not paying, you're not paying attention. And, you know, when you and I got started, it wasn't about the money. It was about the formality of like, you're going to ask me for business help. And I want to be able to provide that. So just so the audience has that and, and a good business lesson, um, before we get going, Jake, just tell us a little about who you are, where your practice is located, and then we can uh, get started from there. Absolutely. Thank you. So I practice, um, on Long Island and also I'm have a satellite location in New York city. Um, at this point, one day every other week. And the pandemic changed the frequency a little bit, but that's generally how it's been. And I've been in private practice since probably uh, second quarter of 2015 on through and have been uh, making it work. Um, I'm Up until the pandemic, I was located within a gym facility, both on Long Island and in Manhattan. And now it's just uh, on Long Island, but I'm um, the population of athletes in the facility have seen this grown steadily. It's a very large youth sports population on Long Island, along with the uh, adult weekend warriors. So that's kind of essentially the focus of my practice as well. And so that marriage that I've had with the gym owners here has worked nicely. And uh, just been rocking and rolling since then, growing, trying to do what I can to take things to the next level. So you mentioned sort of second quarter 2015, so almost seven years been in in your own, not private practice, but in your own business, you've been a business owner, um, right? Or is in 2015 when you started? Uh, no, that's true. 2015, April 2015 is when I started seeing um, patients on my own, separate from another uh, professional entity, other practices I was working for. And then about July, I think July is technically when the S Corp started, but uh, since July uh, 2015, I've been full out on my own. Um, and at that, you know, early on in that course of that first year, I changed office locations, but otherwise it's been pretty steady, my own business, my own practice. Okay, good. So let's take us back to when you got started and, um, you know, we have students listening. We have some other people thinking about doing their own thing. Um, what was it like when you first did get started in 2015? Uh, what, what do you remember about the experience then? It's a good question. It was actually some elements of it are very vivid. Um, I had been an associate for one practice in Manhattan for two years, then got married. You were there. You remember. Um, and then shortly thereafter, I had a little bit of time before I started another practice I was at. And um, that practice, that uh, the second practice I was at, really set the stage and I think accelerated the time frame that I planned on going out on my own. Um, I can get into that if need be, but just for the sake of uh, your question, I remember being jaded by working as an associate with that particular practice. And then once I started seeing just on the weekends, like giving myself, you know, six, you know, busy work weeks, uh, long hours in Manhattan, because at that point I was full-time Manhattan, then weekends I was out in Long Island, uh, you know, paying an egregious amount for a small room. I had such a, uh, such an excitement level. The difference was palpable. My wife was the first one to announce me because I was so happy going out on my own and seeing a few people and driving a decent distance out on the island because it was, I, I could shape it as my own. And, and I didn't know what the heck I was doing then. Not now it's necessarily uh, that different, but uh, I just remember that being the biggest difference is that kind of like the, the pride I had, the excitement I had, the hours at that point were negligible. Right. Good. Um, you know, and, I think all of us sort of experienced that. It was a lesson that was shared with me with my first mentor when I got going right at the same time that you did. And he, he said, make sure you, make sure you enjoy the beginning of this because you, you only start your first business one time. And there's an excitement that does come with that when you don't know what the hell you're doing. Um, it isn't like your, your family survival at that point isn't, isn't, you know, 
dependent on that. So you can sort of just go and take some big swings at, at what you have to do. And it's almost like it's nervous racking, but it's also carefree at the same time because if it does fail, you know, you have a job. So it is an interesting, an interesting time. Let's um let's now fast forward. So you and I sort of formalized a relationship of of coaching in 2022. So you had all this excitement, got going, you were on your own, autonomous, and then a bunch of time passed. And as I always say, everyone gets going and eventually gets stuck. So take us into, you know, that that five, six, seven year period of getting going to being really excited to where we ended, ended up, um, where you sort of got stuck or where you were frustrated. Um, that's a great question. So uh, over the years, obviously I had built up a, a loyal and, and decent following of people that, you know, typically obviously in that sports realm, you don't necessarily see people consistently, um, unless they keep hurting themselves, you'll soak people for a bit, then they'll go away for a bit, then they'll come back to when something else crops up. But I got really good at working in my business. And that was probably the biggest change and really kind of where I got stuck doing. It's not necessarily that I wasn't growing in the first few years because you go from not seeing many people to building a practice, you're going to have that increase in profit. And so I was experiencing that, and especially from the first year, which was part-time, both part-time of the year along with part-time during the week until it switched in July, as I said, from the first year to the second year being full-time on my own, it's like, wow, this is crazy. I doubled my business, you know, anything more than one or anything more than zero is, you know, is more. But uh, I think I got stuck at just being so focused on day-to-day operations, like, and kind of going with the ebb and flow of it. And there was an ebb and flow. And sometimes I'd think, okay, well, I need to spend more time in on Long Island versus Manhattan. And then the other, as soon as I would say that it would switch, but still it was very much based on week to week, not a general trend, not really breaking down where my patient referrals were coming from, uh, taking a step before that, not even kind of working a little bit here, there to foster referrals, doing some presentations to some fitness facilities, to Equinox and the like, but not like really having a a consistent marketing plan, just being stuck in the day-to-day aspect of it, I would say. Cool. Um, Which is super common. And, you know, the book that we've talked about and many people have read is that e-myth concept of working in your business versus on your business. Um, I want to dive deeper into that because you obviously knew that terminology coming in. You've read the book, you know, in versus on, and it's all laid out for you. What was it, or was there a moment when you said, we looked around and we're like, like, I, I know I have to do something different. I will have to work on the business air quotes, but I don't, don't necessarily know what, what was that moment for you? It's a good question. Also, you're just firing away. I try. Um, That's why I'm here. Yes, you don't just try; you succeed. I I would say that moment. Um, I think obviously, as you grow the practice over the first few years, you you see more and more people. But then it gets to that uh, that critical point where the stuff you did to get there no longer works to get you to that next step. Can I can I interrupt you and can you give us some examples of what it was? Because again. Um, our job here, and I know you have a passion for education as well, but this is one of those things where it's like, if I could go tell this to my younger self, so there's other students that are just like Jake and just like Justin that are going to get going, and that statement that you just made, what are some concrete examples of of that that you would look at and say, okay, like now I know I got to do something different? So it's funny because it's actually something you said to me a while ago specifically. It's like, oh, well, you know, it's great. Make sure your systems are in place because it's much harder to change them after the fact versus starting with them. And like, yeah, that makes sense. But I think back to that point and that version of me that you told him, like, I had no idea what you were talking about. Like in general, maybe conceptually, but like I didn't know how that actually applied. And so as an example, like having a consistent onboarding process that is a way for people to be welcomed into the practice. And I I think in this sports rehab realm, especially as progressive practitioners, we're trying not to have the sins of our forefathers of the profession uh, dictate what we do. And so I think I fell into that trap sometimes of 
you know, I didn't want things to be transactional and I didn't want to have care plans and I didn't want to help people forever and all these various, you know, um, things that we that other people have done that, that we don't do. And we're not like that. But I think a lot of that, um, a lot of those insecurities about being viewed in the same way influenced the process on the front end. And so if I could go back and tell myself, like, have an onboarding process. It doesn't need to be transactional. And if anything else, not having an onboarding process kind of made things transactional. I had people just come in and not really get to have an understanding of what was going on. And I would chat with some people on the phone, but my process is so different now and still evolving that it makes things easier. It really does. And it'll give people a specific, you know, visit amount where it's like I had an inclination before. Obviously, that's that's increased over time of like based on clinical experience, but to actually give people an idea of what we're looking at as a starting point just has made my life easier. Right. Shockingly. But there's so. been, it, that's not without the, you know, bumps and bruises that I've experienced from having to do it after the fact versus if I'd done it on the front end. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's one of those things where I'm, la- I'm sort of internally laughing at what you're saying because I'm going through the same thing at a different stage about trying to increase like uh, systems and processes at the, at a, at another level to grow and scale with now multiple people. And so if I, I, it's, this is a problem that again, it's, it's more about building the muscle to solve the problem because it's going to come up again. Right. And so the system and process now, Jake is trying to implement it for Dr. Jake, but at some point, Jake is going to hire another doctor and then he's going to have the same problem. It just looks different because he's going to have to figure out how to teach that to somebody else. So it's it's not about like you're going to solve this problem. It's never going to go away. It's like you're going to learn how to solve this problem in this specific instance. And then the next time it comes up in a different form or format with a different mask on, so to speak, you're going to have an idea of what the problem was and, and how to go about solving it differently. I think that's, that's a really good, that's really good insight. And, you know, the other word that I kept thinking as you were speaking is empathy, right? And people look at, oh, we're doing sales training and we're systems and processes and we're going to be the, the crazy Cairo and do all that thing. And all I could think about is you're talking about an onboarding process is empathy. Here we are chiropractors, which as we all have talked about, like a lot of people in the public don't like believe is real anyway. And then on top of it, we've decided to not only not do regular chiropractic care, but we've decided to do this rehab, this movement, this DNS, all these different treatment, which is no one in the public knows what it is. And then we just expect that people are going to, in our world, not use their insurance, pay three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 times more for our same service. And they're just going to want to give us money. And then when they say no, because we don't have an onboarding process or a system or a sales system, because not because they're cheap, but because they don't understand and we didn't do a good job explaining it, we're mad at them. And it's like, where did we miss the boat here? So I, I, I appreciate what you're saying in terms of creating the system and process to make everyone's life easier, but more than that, to be able to help the potential patient educate them on why it might be a good idea that they you know, work with us and how we might be able to help them. I, I mean, it's empathy for them and for ourselves. I mean, I can't tell you how many people have told me when I've talked to them on the phone consistently, like they appreciate the process. They appreciate that we're doing this truly. And then selfishly, it's like, if there is someone who isn't a good fit for whatever reason, whatever it may be, personality, although less likely, maybe it's just, we're not the right person to see them. Why wouldn't we screen that on the front end? What's right. the point of wasting someone's time or money if it's better for everyone? they go somewhere else first. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a definitely a mindset shift, which is, you know, part of, part of being in the group is not just giving you the three things to say, but we have to sort of figure it out on our own, our, our mindset shift that we have to believe it first before we can help anyone else believe it. So yeah, I, I definitely appreciate what you're, what you've been saying. Um, let's talk a little bit about, you know, talk about onboarding process. What are some other things in, in the few months that we've been working together that you have implemented where you've seen a success with or success? Um, I find 
I know that we often talk about in the group classes, like, oh, well, I feel like statements and I, and I want this and all that. And that's all well and good. There's nothing wrong with feeling a certain way. But um, the objectivity of knowing where sources come from and tracking it, which is two prongs, um, is nice. And similarly, the objectivity of the trends over time, which is kind of a, a different aspect, but just being more objective with data and doing data for data's sake has been alleviate a lot of the emotional burden for better or for worse, or the better or worse burden uh, when you have a, a low day or a, a, a light week or something else. Like I used to be so focused on like, yeah, I saw 10 patients a day. I worked 10 hours. It's awesome. I'd be exhausted. And it was exhilarating, but also it was like maddening. Like, well, the next week, oh my God, it's nothing. It's going on. I'm going to fail. Whatever, like, you know, the crazy swing of things. Right. The I feel likes abound. But then to take a step back, it's like, you know, I, I, I know you said this quote, um, what was it? Like uh, gross profit is vanity, net profit sanity. Like I think of that just in terms of numbers, like gross numbers of patients is vanity. And I think that to myself often. So if I have a light week now, it's not like, oh my God, I'm going to fail. It's like, okay, well, why? What happened? Maybe I wasn't getting as many referrals. Have I followed up with those coaches that were referring people? Have I checked in? Have I not done certain components to keep things churning along? And if I do have a down week, just because a circumstance, a storm, whatever, all right, well, what's, what's coming up? What can I plan for? Right. Good. Um, yeah, so we say in the group all the time, you can tell me how you think or you feel, but that's after you tell me what the numbers say. Like, let's, we want to see what the data says first, and then we can discuss how we think and feel about it. Well, what a lot of times we run into is the thing that we thought or felt was not supported by the data. And again, just to give people an example in our own practice of why this becomes such a, such a important thing, it, it ha to your point, it can be a positive or a negative. I actually find, and this is interesting for the audience, because I would Im I would imagine that the people listening to this are more like you and I. We're we're high achievers. We're highly motivated, and typically in these cases with that type of person, and you're out there, you know it. You're really really hard on yourself. And so what I find when we have good people in our business, I'm actually the one taking the positive side in quotes. But it actually isn't the positive side. It's the reality. You know, of uh, people always feel like we didn't convert, or they feel like we're not we're not as busy as we need to be, or they feel like we're not getting as many people across the line as we should be. All these different feelings, and we find a lot of times they're unfounded. That actually the numbers are where they're supposed to be, and the problem isn't what we thought it was going to be. And so, you know, we want to make sure that we're solving the problems that actually do exist, and not the things that we think or we feel. Um, I wanted to, I was thinking about this this morning and you talked about the full page, full schedule of patients, sort of that busy trap and how it, it, and again, we're all there. It's gratifying and exhilarating to spend 10 hours a day treating patients for a period of time. And we feel like we're productive. We feel like that's what we have to do. And a day that we only have three or four feels like a bad day. What, what's been that? process and mindset shift of being able to see as, okay, it's not good or bad that they have 10 and it's not good or bad that I have three or four. Let's dive into that a little bit more because I was going to talk about this on Thursday call. I, I took some screenshots of one of the Facebook groups that I'm in for the local chiropractic group. And like th these guys, 25 years in, that's all they're talking about. It's like, oh, I have a busy day Friday. It's like, it's like just that day. And if it's not busy, they feel like crap. And if it's busy, they feel amazing. And that's the only thing that they base their uh, self-worth, their family's self-worth, their own mindset on. And it just, I, I just, it's, it's a hard, it's a hard game to play. So tell me more. Let's dive deeper into that, about that busy trap and, and you know, what, where your thoughts are on that now. Um, it's interesting. I think the biggest thing is mindset. And I don't think I would have labeled it as such, even though it's obvious in hindsight that it is clearly mindset. Um, I, I wouldn't say that in, truly the pendulum swung far the other way. But now when I have a busy week, I was like, oh man, I'm going to have less time to work on things unless I'm committed and being diligent about setting aside that time to work on the business. Going back to the quote you said before, I, I'm, I'm not upset when I see people, obviously, because it's more people to help out. 
Um, but it has kind of gone the other way. It's like, oh man, I wish it was a little bit lighter, at least consistent. But that's the thing. It has been consistent. As I've focused less on that ebb and flow, coincidentally or not, I found that the numbers I'm seeing are more consistent. Right. Why? So maybe why? I think twofold. One, maybe not being so concerned about it allows me not to be paralyzed by the the, the anxiety of it. So I can be a little bit... Um, Again, I used before more objective about it and my actions and my my planning, and also um, the kind of the consistency of of the 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 habits I've been utilizing. You know, with the onboarding process and and having people come in and having the plans of care has allowed people to be more consistent with their appointments. So it's something I can bank on. Mm-hmm. That's and huge. that also, yeah. Talk, of course. talk about that more, right? Tell us, tell us what you used to do, and again this is amazing because you just sort of brushed over all oh, the consistency of appointments. And it's like, Oh yeah, well that makes sense. But most people coming at, I didn't do it either. You know, it's all just kind of, we figure it out as we go. Um, what were you doing before with patients that now you're doing? And again, I want to preface this because in business in Cairo, it's how many new patients, how many new patients, how many new patients. And that's the only way we're going to grow a business. But if you're out there, you know, and and wondering about how to grow your business. Yes, getting new patients is one, but what Jake is about to talk about in his system and process is an objective measure on how the business grows without getting new people in the door. This is this is beautiful. Go ahead and talk through it. So I almost felt like incorporating set plans of care for people allowed me to have the wiggle room with okay, well, what happens if they have flared up symptoms from a particular visit, right? Especially in the early goings. What do we do about that? And as part of making the plan clear to people, I think my communication's been clear to people. So I've actually done a better job at expectation management. So much so I've told a lot of patients, you know what? I don't want it to happen, but it's okay if symptoms are flared up from a visit. And like, what? And, you know, I would assume they would be like, well, what do you mean? What, 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 like, if that happens, that's information for us. Mm-hmm. And maybe we'll, re, we'll redirect immediately, maybe not. But the whole purpose of this plan of care is for us to get a sense of what's the best way to get you feeling as well as possible for your chosen sport, endeavor, activity, or the particular things that they're hoping to do. Tell me what you were doing before as far as, so now you're giving people, hey, I'm recommending one time a week for this amount of time, twice a week, whatever. It's, it's a plan of whatever you medically deem is necessary. What were you doing prior in 2020 and before that? Um, I'm not going to count 2020 or we can count it a little bit less because of everything that transpired because I... Uh, Whatever, either way. Yeah. The system and process yeah. what it was. The, what it was. I, you can call it a system. I mean, I, a lot of it was ad hoc, right? A lot of it was, all right, I'm going to so, see you one time a week. And then, you know, once we see that we're at a good point, we'll, we'll, we'll lessen, you know, and the goal is to get you feeling better as soon as possible. We should know within one to four visits, you know, that we're on the right track. And so that all worked, right? But there'd be people at some point that might drop off a plan of care. Or maybe if we didn't set it up that they were going to come in for X amount of visits, they, oh, I have to cancel this week. I have to take my daughter to something and then poof, gone. So twofold. If I, if the expectation was not a fun and like, this is a process, but we're going to make sure we get you feeling as good as possible rather than, oh, we're going to wait and see for something to happen magically at some point, right? Just because I'm nice and you're nice, it's going to happen. And also, if maybe the expectation management wasn't there about, okay, well, if something flares up or something comes up, whatever else, and then people are left with their own devices. And, right. and none of us should be egotistical enough to think that people think about us every day and hour of every day, day in and day out. Right. So people get busy, someone cancels, and then they fall off the schedule. And then if we're not on top of following up with people, we're setting aside time to do that truly, then they, they, get, they, 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 they disappear, they vanish. I think it's it's amazing, and my my I just have so many thoughts. But the one that just popped up was again a lot of the people in our space, the rehab Cairo space. You like I started as being solo by myself, and you're still solo by yourself, which becomes massively important to understand because the last piece that you mentioned, when I didn't have them on a plan, then I have to follow up, and I have to do this, and I have to do that. Well if we can get these people to have some sort of consistency where they're on our calendar and we have a, 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 you know, a system and a process to make sure that they do the best of our efforts, show up when they're supposed to show up. Now 
we're, we're not creating extra jobs for ourselves, right? So if you schedule every patient out and you put their pay, uh, do that one time during their first visit, and again, things change, life happens, you know, emergencies happen, flare-ups happen, but as what I like to say, 80% of the time, if I schedule someone out and do the right thing by them, they're going to keep their appointments, they're going to show up. Now, you don't have to go past to admin front desk person, Jake, who now has to remember among all the other things going on to follow up with Sally because I only booked her for two appointments and now she fell off because her kid had dance or whatever. And so you're making your life easier at every step of the way. I always, like we just talked about, these problems will happen again just in a different format. So when you do get a front desk admin person, would you rather have them helping you to grow the business or just to follow up with people that dropped off the schedule because of something in our process that didn't work because we never scheduled them in the first place? Like if you're paying this person regardless, and if you're paying them because of the lack of systems or processes in your business, you know, now you're inefficient. So if the first visit we can do the job we're supposed to do, you know, put credit card on file or however we're going to collect payment and make sure that their visits are scheduled and, and all of those things happen day one, we did, the, we did our job the first day instead of having to do it every single visit or when they drop off, you know, because we didn't schedule them, then we've got to follow up. So these same problems will come back tenfold, you know, every step of the way. And I know that might have been rhetorical question, but I don't view those as either or scenarios. I view that as they're, they're the same thing, right? If, if we or they, person not to be named yet, uh, because I don't have one and my dog is incapable of typing because he lacks opposable thumbs. By having them reach out to people, I never know if that next time I see that person like, oh, you know, I've been feeling great. I meant to, I meant to tell you, I told my friend about you. Have they reached out yet? But if they follow up the schedule, the likelihood of that happening just from circumstance or kismet, whatever else you want to say, lessens. So I view like, yes, there are specific strategies, obviously, that, that we or they can utilize to build a practice, which are different. I still view being on top of patients that haven't been in X amount of time as building a practice in a different way, sustaining Absolutely. a practice more so, if anything. But I and I and I like, you know, whereas I think the hypercritical aspect that a lot of us fall into as business owners is always there, right? Because as you're saying, I'm like, oh, well, I, I could do a better job scheduling people out and this and that. But the truth is that the the comfort of I'll say it this way, the things that I used to be worried about, not even in a monetary sense, just in terms of like how people view my practice have dwindled. I think a lot of what I did was based around the fear of people viewing that I was just after the money, or I was like going to treat people forever, or I was just going to rack them, crack them, see them later, whatever else. And as part of changing that process, I don't even worry about that anymore. And I think some of that comes with time and practice and experience and comfort and confidence. But I, I, I was hesitant to do the plans of care, hesitant to modify the onboarding process, hesitant to do more than what I've done because anything more is a little bit of an unknown and maybe they think this and all that, but those are still, I feel like statements. Yeah. And so, yeah, no, go ahead. Keep going. I was, I was just going to say, there's been a lot more, uh, I guess, confidence. I, I wouldn't have phrased it that way initially, but I guess confidence in myself as an individual, let alone as a practitioner, knowing that I'm just giving myself more chances to make sure that everyone's going to have a chance to succeed. Yeah. No, it's awesome. I think that's, that's, uh, it's, it's, it's really good insight. And, you know, I've done a few of these with you guys already and the pearls that you guys are coming with, if you're listening to this and, and not taking pages of notes, you're, you're mistaken. There's so much gold here. Um, so I, I appreciate everything that you're saying. Um, the other part too is, you know, whether whether you and I mean you as in the rehab chiros out there view yourself as a leader, as a doctor, whatever you kind of label yourself as, people are coming to you because they need to be led, right? They You have to lead them to the result that they want. And so when you put a plan in place for somebody, that's part of leading them. It gives them comfort to know like this guy or girl is taking care of me right? This is the plan. This is what it looks like. Here are the things that can go right. Here are the things that might go wrong. Here are the things you should pay attention to. Here's when I expect results. You know, I'm, don't hold me to X, Y, and Z because of this factor, this factor, this factor, but I'll make sure I communicate with, communicate it with you all along the way. 
right? That if that, again, if you're on this, if you're listening to this and you feel like that is salesy and then that's money hungry conversation. And again, I, I don't have anything. I can't help you. Um, it's about leading your patient. They're coming to you because you're the expert. They want help with their problem. And you are just delivering on that in a way that gives them confidence to know that they're going to get the outcome that they sought at, at the start. Um, so let's go into um, a big decision. So since starting the program, what's one big decision that you've made? Um. I mean, being consistent with what we discussed already, uh, instituting plans of care where patients have a chance to um, pay up front and kind of a, a built-in, uh, it's probably not the operative word, but discount associated with that. For well, making it's a time of, serv- time of service discount. Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's yeah. a real thing. It's, that has, was a big decision for the reasons I mentioned. And I, and I fought you on it. <laughs> Of course you did. I, I fought you on it. I fought myself on it. Um, I'm not sure which more, probably myself. And then once I got in my own way and explained to people, guess how many people gave me a hard time about it? I'd imagine less than you gave yourself a hard time about it or the times that you gave me a hard time about it. Uh, yeah, that's, that's a safe assumption. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, that was one big decision. Yep. The other one was, and it's a work in progress, uh, raising my prices to where they should be. What's, let's, let's dive into that. So you've doubled your price. Uh, yes, for a lot of my patients in the past, yes. You've, and, and doubled, from, you, you've doubled your price. So now people online that are, are listening to this are like, ah, oh my God, doubled your price. Um, so first, let's see this. How many people? How many people punched you in the face when you told them the rates were raising? I mean, I'd like to think I would dodge them well, but zero. Okay, good. Um, have you died from raising your rates? Knock on wood. Unless is the the matrix not as of yet. Good. So that's that's two. Has anyone got extremely angry, like unbelievably angry, at you telling them the price has kind of has basically doubled? Much to my surprise, initially. No. Good. Okay. So that's all out of the way because that, this, that's probably one of the number one questions that I get. Um, people know they need to raise their rates, but they're so afraid of doing it for a lot of different reasons. And I'm kind of joking, but not really, because those are the things that uh, we think about. Um, so talk about that decision a little bit and, and you know what finally got you to make it and, and the result for yourself, for your, your patients, for your mental clarity. Let's, let's talk through that. I think a lot of the decisions I've made, and we all do, is thinking of ourselves in this situation, what we would like, and, and, and that's being too myopic and let alone hard on ourselves. It's not using whatever my financial situation is or could be. It's not my place to make decisions for people. So you, when, you say you're, when you say you're talking about Jake specifically, the human, your own financial situation. Yeah. And letting that affect how you present to a patient, whether it's price or cost or anything like that. Is that what you mean? Exactly. Like, oh, well, I, I'm sure a lot of people have student loans. I'm sure a lot of people have mortgages. I'm sure a number of my patients, like I have, have children and a spouse and everything else. All the various expenses, the myriad of things that we have to deal with. But getting out of my own way and not being gracious to people and in essence to myself too. And just curious what the, the, the numbers are. And, and kind of explaining the process that uh, I, I stopped putting myself in, in the conversation or not. I stopped preventing projecting. myself from offering people a chance. Yeah. Projecting and offering uh, a chance for people to get better because of what a perception I had. And there's always the ones that, that like in the past, before I had this process, you know, the people who I thought maybe couldn't pay had no problem. And then people who I knew wouldn't have a problem monetarily. Maybe there was something along the way. And I just stopped counting other people's money, let alone yeah. my own. Right. I just stopped thinking about it. Because ultimately, if we're going to talk objections, chances are, if they were referred to me already, both a, a multitude of factors there, but price in and of itself is not an obstacle. It's not because I'm in the, most, the wealthiest zip code on Long Island. 
I'm not in a you know low SES zip code where there's no one that can afford my services, but it's not the wealthiest on Long Island by a large margin. There's a tremendous amount of wealth in this part of the country, but I think the biggest thing is pricing rates. At, 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 if we can qualify what you're worth, right? I think previously I was grossly over delivering and, uh, and and being underpaid, and so I just brought up that ladder category as a way to grow the practice and to right. to, to feel more confidence in the services I was delivering. Right. And so someone asked, I'm doing a talk, uh, the time is recording, the talk will be tomorrow. A student, how do you sort of decide what you're worth? Um, and it's interesting conversation because you went from making the date up August 14th, you were charging X and August 15th, you charged, were charging double. And so what we realized was really on your end, nothing amazingly changed in a day. You made the decision that day as that that's what your value should have, should have been. And now you're confident enough to tell people about it. Now, the other part of this that I want to make sure we're clear, there is a system and strategy behind this, which is, you know, beyond the scope of, of what we want to talk about today. It isn't like Jake walked into his practice on January 1st and said, Hey, Sally, by the way, I'm doubling my rates tomorrow. I, you know, uh, I hope you can afford it. And if you can't, you know, see you later. You know, there's a system and a process and a strategy that we went through over and over and over again and in many different scenarios because, again, if you really are trying to do the right thing by people, there are very specific ways to do it in which, you know, again, you're not going to get tomatoes thrown at you or people are going to punch you in the face because you are dealing with humans here. This isn't just like, screw it, I'm going to raise everyone's price if they don't want to see me. No, you'll go out of business that way. So there is very specific ways that we've worked on in order to implement this, correct? No question. And even people I would have sworn were going to give me a hard time, they didn't. They didn't. And, and, and anyone that I got a chance to talk to about it directly, just obviously, you know, vast majority of people, Everyone understood it. Everyone appreciated the difference. Yeah. Because again, I used the word before, it's being gracious. It's, it's, it's giving people a chance to make a decision and it's being polite and courteous to them about having time to make that decision. Yeah. And one of the objections that I get from practitioners, and you gave me the same one, I just want to help people. And so what about people that can't afford it? And so here's what I would say. I was like, you need to charge the people that can afford it the appropriate rate so that the people that genuinely, truly cannot afford it, you can help them and treat them in any way you want. And if that's free, go ahead. So you can actually help people. But if you're not charging the appropriate rate for your service for people that can afford it, then you're going to be asking, you know, if you're charging 200 bucks an hour for people that can afford it, and then all of a sudden you uh, turn around and someone legitimately can't afford it, and then you charge them 40, my thing is, well, why charge them 40? If they really can't afford it, don't charge them anything. That should be a pro bono case. Like I would feel worse about charging someone that can't afford it anything, right? But again, these are not things we do. Oh, I just want to help everyone. Okay, so then help those people, right? But again, I, I just, I don't know, that, that, this type of conversation, I think so many people get stuck here um, for so long be, because of this type of thing. So that's why I'm spending a lot, of, a lot of time on it. The other part too is, I don't, you like, I hate the word deserve, um, but- you know, I, I think about when I do this coaching and I get on the phone with Jake, I'm not just talking to Jake. I know Jake's wife. I know Jake has two kids. And like, why should they take, why should they take a hit? Because we just aren't, we aren't okay with charging what quote, quote unquote we're worth. Like Jake's got kids to put through college. He's got a mortgage to pay. And so why should he be holding the bag at the end of the day? Like, why should his kids suffer? And so my job a lot of times becomes to say like, all right, like, okay, but not for you. What about for them? You know, what about for them? Well, for sure. And let alone like, you, you've always said this and you said it back in school too. And we kind of faced with the same dilemma, like, okay, well, I'm going to be progressive. I'm not going to do what they do. I'm not going to be numbers driven. I'm not going to be a high volume practitioner. Meanwhile, high volume practitioners as a stereotype, well, they're driving fancy cars. Well, that's because that's, they see a thousand people and all, all the excuses we make. And the truth is that it's not about that. I try not to count anyone's money. If someone's done well in whatever field, mazel tov, good for them, high five, hallelujah. But why can't we be in the same conversation from doing things the right way? Yeah, yeah. 
mean, we gotta we gotta first imagine that uh, believe that we deserve we we ourselves deserve it, right? I thought you said you don't like that word. I don't like it. Um, <laughs> I, that's why I, I said it's a weird word because, like, oh, we deserve to. No, we really don't. But a lot of times, I think I think one of the issues that we have is when we sort of we when we take that oath air quotes to become a rehab Cairo, we throw out the other end of it that we're going to be able to make a really good living. So I think that word deserve comes into play for ourselves there. We have to first um, get that whole thing back in play of like, wait, no, I can actually do this and I might deserve it, but, but I have to put the work in to learn these other things in order to make it happen. Deserve doesn't mean we're handed. It deserves means that we're giving ourselves a chance to hand it to ourselves. For sure. By, by, taking the steps to get there. And the steps here, the rehab chiros in general have over-invested, double-invested, you and I the same, in investing in ourselves clinically, right? And so going back to how do we earn it, where I'm trying to sort of grow this community is taking, taking that amazing energy that all of us rehab chiropractors have and say, I'm glad you're investing in all of the courses that I've taken SFMA and name them because I think they're amazing. But what about mindset shift of I've got to invest in myself and in my business and in my business skills so that I can utilize all of those rehab techniques and build a really strong business? That was the biggest difference too, going back to your question before, is that I I, you know, I, 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 as I, when my wife and I had, uh, children and while she had them, I just kind of helped out a bit, but they, my time to spend doing clinical courses went down the drain and then I was ready to take a course. And then in the back of my head, you were there like, Oh, uh, what is this going to do for you? Everything else. And as, as I, and that was even before we initiated formal, um, you know, consulting and only I think technically the start of next month is the first clinical course I'm taking in years, mm-hmm. getting the pandemic years. And even then I'm thinking like, okay, how am I going to make it worth my time to do this? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm not opposed to taking clinical courses. I think at this point, more so than anything for clinicians out there, taking all of those courses, it, it excites you, right? I think it's good. You learn to go in. If you education in general, excites people. But if you go in and think that you're going to improve your clinical outcomes by 50% at this point, knowing with all the knowledge that you have, that's not going to happen. And that's okay, right? I'm not saying, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. So please don't misconstrue. I think at this point, it keeps you engaged and it kind of gets you a different perspective because in a small private practice, right, you close that door and no one's telling you, clinically if you're good, bad, and different. But again, that is not going to improve your outcome. And if you're a business owner though, my thing is with these rehab, with the rehab chiros out there, what's the bottleneck? The bottleneck typically is not going to be your clinical outcomes. And if, if we were true into actually solving the largest bottleneck in our practice, that includes clinical and business skills, almost without fail, Solving the business skill problem would give you the biggest impact and is the biggest bottleneck. Again, not for all chiros. Some of them are horrendous clinically. We know those type. That's not the people that we're talking to. The bottleneck is not the clinical skills for the people listening to this podcast. The bottleneck will always be the business skills. And mine, I, I, I was thinking about this morning before our call, I, um, I know you weren't a big gamer, not even that I was, but a lot of video games, you know, like you'll level up, you'll level up your, your equipment, you'll level up your skill set. And the exciting thing, frankly, is forgetting clinical courses I'm taking, forgetting anything else from where I was to now. It's not like zero to five on a 10 scale or five out of five being the most, whatever number we want to use. But I know that I'm only just scratching the surface of this leveling up. And from minor tweaks and really to your point before you use the word being consistent about it. Right. And so the exciting thing is you write about the clinical course kind of wetting my appetite um, and passion and keeping that going. But just the exciting thing is how much more can I build things? Yeah. What can I do when I encounter that next problem so that I, I don't inadvertently work in the business, right? right? What can I do to work on it so I get things to grow and, you know, further separate myself? Right. Yeah, no, it's it's awesome. Um, so we talked about some of your big wins, systems, processes, raising your rates, huge. What are some losses you've had 
Um, good question. I'm thinking. Um, <laughs> uh, the shedding of some things that may be uncomfortable is really a win still. <laughs> Well, but well, let's let's go into that um, because we all have those. Maybe what is it? Self-limiting beliefs, or um, when you say shedding of them, or, you know, you and I have talked about. Uh, you have made so much progress, but you and I talk about the speed at which we sometimes make the decisions, right? Yeah. And we say some. I think for you, I know, I know, coaching you, you're going to get there. Sometimes it's slower than we want. Right. So what is that process for you? Because again, like I said, if, 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 if it's happening to you, it's happening to a thousand other people out there. I think, uh, like you said, like, you know, self-limiting beliefs, like getting out of our own way. Um, I think, and I alluded to this before the bumps and bruises that I've encountered, I would say the practice growth internally that can be validated via the, the, the numbers, but just internally, the things I've done to modify the processes, even small tweaks, have been, there's been emotional turmoil associated with that. Why? Because growth is uncomfortable. But what, what was it about it? Was it seeing where the numbers actually were or to actually have to be held accountable to the numbers? Yes, yes, to both of those. Okay. Can you give us a concrete example of like, what was a number that you weren't tracking that you are that you're like, eh, this isn't so good. Well, like, just, yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, having an idea when my account asked me how the year's going or just even like, I don't know, I, I, I was, I know some people did well ish or better, if not the same during 2020, I was down, I think 60%. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until the end of the year that I calculated that. So, okay, we're not tracking our numbers. How do we not know? Right. What steps could I have taken during the course of that year, all things being considered, to mitigate that loss real time instead of just like throwing my hands up, which there's a little bit of that. You know, our second child was due. I had to be home from, you know, mid-March on through, you know, Memorial Day to watch my son while my wife still had to work. So there was there was a number of factors there, but to not just like, get taken by the, the sea and swell of things. Right. So looking at those numbers, but then also seeing, looking at the numbers that I went up from being down 60 to then, you know, greater than the year before setting, you know, the best year yet this past calendar year. Yeah. Good. But it wasn't from a, a year end glance. That right. was from yeah. a, a trend. So. so knowing, so knowing your numbers and again, I take it back to, you know, we could sit in a lecture hall going back to 2011 and we could have someone come and speak to us um, and say, you know, you have to, if you're going to practice, you have to know your numbers. And you and I would take our notebook out and write, know your numbers. And then we would get into practice. And again, you are not the, I was the same way until we sort of figured it out. But there are practices that are big, small, and that don't know their numbers, that aren't confident, that kind of go with, if there's this many people on the schedule and there's this much money in the bank, um, that's about what they judge their business on. And as I always say, that's, those are, that's a metric, not the metric, right? There are many metrics that we want to have, but in order to know those numbers first, we have to have, again, going back the system and the process, a way of calculating them. So we're not just relying on money in the bank, patients on the schedule. I bet it's more than 75%, probably 90% of Kairos out there that that's how they judge their practice. Patients on the schedule, money in the bank. That's it. I'm sure we were told that. Like you said, I'm sure we wrote it down diligently. I'm sure we, you know, reviewed our notes and wrote it down again later on. But it, it's different. It hits you differently. Yeah. And I've said this to you. He, you, you specifically, because I've had, like, have, will say the same things to me or anyone in the group multiple times. But each time, like you said before, a new problem comes up or each time we're kind of ready to hear it a different way. Yep. Yeah. So... It's going through and doing the thing allows me to troubleshoot the thing. I, mm. I, whereas before, and it's just kind of a predilection, like troubleshooting the thing before doing the thing seems silly objectively, but that's what a lot of us would do. And I certainly would do as well. Yeah. But what happens no. if they say no? Well, how about you ask them first? Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, it's a great point on, on, you know, the, the, the genesis of the program of, you, you know, you always apologize to me. I know we talked about this before. And I'm like, no, like, I understand that when we do this seven week introduction course, I'm going to give you app. I, and I, 
When I tell people what the seven-week course is, I tell them it's everything that I have. It's the entire playbook. And they say, okay, so like after seven weeks, why would I join the mastermind program? <laughs> and I say, what you, because what you just said, because 99% of it you hear, but aren't ready for. Like you can implement one thing. And then three months later, you're like, I think we talked about the sales process and doing this, but I, I'm sure you said it, but can we go over it again? Yes. Cause now you're ready to hear it before you were just worried about whatever, how to write an email. So at every level, there are things that you've probably heard that you weren't ready to hear yet or implement. So at every step of the way, that's why it is truly a system and a process. And again, you know, for you hiring, like, it's like, I know we talked about this, but we're going to have that conversation because we know we talked about it, but it wasn't relevant to you at that time. At some point it will be. Um, let's go ahead and any, anything else that we missed here that you wanted to bring up? It feels well, worth and deserve are similar words, but it definitely feels better getting increasingly closer to charging what my time is worth mm. and also treating myself like my time is worth that amount, whether I'm with patients or not, than not doing that. Yeah. Yeah. It's and made a it, lot of decisions easier. Like what? I mean, it is, it's, it's numbers driven, it's status driven, but it's not greed driven. Like it's okay to spend time to have a business meeting with a colleague or a networking meeting or something, but also it's also worth my time to look at the data since I'm on my own and, and make sure I'm, I'm keeping on top of the stuff I have to do yep. because the multiplier on doing that stuff, tracking my leads is, is exponential. Instead right. of like, oh, well, you know, I saw a bunch of patients. Oh, I'm burned out. So like, I'm going to just stare at the computer for a while. And I used to do that. But now just like viewing the time I'm not seeing patients in the same way that I'm seeing patients uh, has been a continual eye-opening process and yeah. has really shifted a lot of my um, focus and efforts in a positive way. Love it. That's awesome. Last question. Um, so I know you've we're one of the first people to join the program and you've since referred people, which I absolutely appreciate. Um, what would you tell somebody who's listening that has thought about potentially joining, potentially reaching out, but hasn't done it yet? Uh, what would you, what would you say to that person? I think you owe it to yourself to give yourself and your business and, and really taking a step further, your family, if they're relying on your income uh, or not, you owe it to yourself to give yourself the best chance to succeed. And since there is a, there are some that occupy this space, you know, with business coaching and mentoring, for you having the pre-established relationship, it made it much easier for me, um, knowing the caliber of person and have in our personal relationship. But I thought, who better to look out for me than, than, than someone that I, that I trust, right? But even for those that don't know you in the same level that I did, having shared a bathroom and whatnot. Um, True. The, the, the kindness and mindset and, and just really the whole shift of things and setting the stage for us to be even keeled and then to, to take the steps to grow things has been amazing. And like I said before, I'm, you know, I'm scratching the surface personally. So that in and of itself uh, provokes more passion and excitement, you know, that I can take things to the next level so that I can prevent, you know, being in a situation where I gradually wind down my practice that's been successful, I've helped people, and then I sell it for a small amount, and I live out my days uh, right. worrying about paying for everything. So Sure. I love it. Very cool. Jake, I, this was fantastic. I appreciate you uh, coming on. If somebody, I know you, again, you like to mentor and, and, and help any young Kairos out there. So if any young Kairos or anyone in practice or some students want to reach out to you and shadow or get in contact with you, how can they get in touch with you? So um, I'm not incredibly active on social media, but I will always check my messages. Um, usually if you use the subject line, Bills winning the Super Bowl, then that's a good way to catch my attention. But in actuality, I am very passionate about trying to give, uh, pay it forward and help out. Um, so my email address, jakealtmandc at gmail.com, my practice website, my office number, 516 900 HEAL, 
H-E-A-L or 4325. Um, any method or form of, of reaching out is appreciated and I'm happy to help anyone out, set them on a path and avoid some of the pitfalls that I had early on. Good. I love it. Awesome. Jake, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. And uh, guys, we will see you next time. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. And if you found this content valuable, here are four ways I can help you for free. One, grab a copy of my free guide, The Rehab Chiropractor's Checklist. You can get that at go.drjustinrabinowitz.com slash guide. That's go.drjustinrabinowitz.com slash guide. Two, go ahead and give me a follow on Instagram at Justin Rabinowitz, where I post business content. Three, subscribe to my weekly newsletter by sending me an email at coaching at strive to move.com. And four, leave us a five-star review so we can gain access to more influential people and bring those lessons back to you.